Welcome to the Just Love Podcast, hosted by Wipe Every Tear. We hope this podcast inspires you to just love and to love justly. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Just Love Podcast. My name is Elizabeth Friend. Hey, my name is Lauren Sanders, and Elizabeth and I both work in the Boise office. Yeah, we're so excited to be here with you today, and we're just going to spend some time talking to you about human sex trafficking and specifically what does sex trafficking look like in the Philippines. We both have been to the Philippines a number of times and love to just share this information with people, and so we're excited to be able to get to share this with you, and really we're just going to jump right in here. So, for those of you that don't know, human sex trafficking is the action or practice of illegally transporting people from one country area to another for the purpose of sexual exploitation. Sex trafficking comes in a lot of different ways, which is why we want to talk to you specifically about what it looks like in the Philippines. Another definition of human trafficking is defined as the exploitation of vulnerability, and that is personally my favorite definition, although it's kind of weird to say you have a favorite definition of trafficking, but I think that's the definition that I have found to be the most true when I have talked with victims of exploitation. And in the Philippines specifically, there is generations of oppression and of poverty that have led the Philippines to now be known as one of the premier foreign sex tourist locations in the world. Trafficking in the Philippines really began around World War II with the Japanese occupation. The Japanese occupied the Philippines, um, I think beginning around the early 1940s, and they began exploiting the local Filipino women for sex. They were called comfort women, which in fact, the women were not comfortable at all. They were in absolutely horrible, degrading situations where most of them were being forced to have sex with the Japanese soldiers in shacks. The Japanese actually invented kamikaze aerial fighting out of where they were located in the Philippines. After the U.S. helped liberate the Philippines from Japanese occupation, they were able to take over the landing airstrips that the Japanese had used for aerial warfare. This became known as the Clark Air Base. It was the largest air base outside of the continental United States, and it was pretty much the hub for all warfare during the Korean and Vietnamese wars. So as great as a military presence can be, and as helpful as it was to the Philippines in certain ways, it unfortunately exacerbated the issue of sex trafficking in the Philippines. Yeah, and so the culture of the Philippines and the culture that the United States and Koreans and Japanese all brought over to the Philippines really added to what the sex trafficking looks like now and what each of the bars looks like now. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, the walking street and the strip of bars really extends right along the wall and the fence for the former Air Force Base, which is now known as the City of Clark. And so it is really unnerving to see that the bars really popped up right along where the Air Force Base was. Now, my dad is an officer in the Air Force, so this is no way any derogatory comments or opinions against the military. Just the fact is that when the military men were there, they were hurting and they were lonely and they were broken. And unfortunately, as we all are, we all turn to handling our hurts in unhealthy ways. And this is unfortunately a byproduct of that. 
Yeah, and so that contributed so much to what it currently looks like in the Philippines specifically. And like we had mentioned, it looks different in the Philippines than it does in many other Asian cultures, Mm -hmm. as even it does in the United States. And so we're going to talk about that further in other episodes. We're excited to talk to y'all today about the realities of what trafficking looks like in the Philippines and how we can just be more aware and then hopefully from that be able to share in our our fight against trafficking together from a more informed viewpoint. So we've had a lot of people ask us, what does a bar actually look like? And it comes in a lot of different forms. The sex trade is prevalent in a lot of different business areas even. Like there's bars that are specific to women that are there dancing. There's massage parlors and then there's freelancers. Those are kind of the three main avenues There's a lot of different ways where sex trafficking manifests physically, but it also is pretty prevalent online as well. Yeah. If you go into a bar, you'll often see a stage with a lot of women that are scantily dressed, but some of them are wearing nice dresses. Some of them might be wearing bikinis. It really kind of just depends on which bar you go into and what the management of the bar looks like. And there will be tables there where the men can just sit and have a drink and wait until they choose a woman to come over and talk with him and sit with him and they'll pay for her drink during the time. So when we say bar, I think our listeners might have a more typical like Western view of a bar than what is seen in the Philippines. A bar in the Philippines is typically shielded from the outside by a concrete door and a very thick curtain. You have to enter both of them to get into the bar, which I find is just yet another way that they're trying to conceal and hide what is happening inside of the bars because trafficking doesn't happen in the Philippines. Yet, it very much so does. So when you walk into a bar, you have to go through not only a very thick door and be let in by bouncers, but you have to walk through a really thick curtain. And as you walk through the curtain, you're just enveloped in smoke from cigarettes and really, really loud thumping music. Filipinos also love to dance. And so you'll typically see a lot of TVs on the walls with like dance videos, like hip hop videos that you're supposed to follow along. Like you'll even see Zumba videos, which can feel like very disconcerting. You're like, I just walked into this bar that is a front for sex trafficking and they're playing Zumba videos and it can put you like in a very odd emotional state. And then a lot of the bars also have mirrors and it's kind of like a straight shot. You can see pretty much the entire bar from one viewpoint, which makes sense because they want to keep an eye on their customers and also on the girls. Every bar has a stage where girls are forced to dance or at least do some sort of movement to attract the eye of the customers. Every bar will also have a small little DJ area where they'll also serve like beer and make the drinks back there. But it's not necessarily a bar where you're where you will walk up and you'll sit in front of a bartender and sit on a bar stool. It's more of a mix between a really like shady lounge or club that you would find in the United States and then like a disco that you might find in like a European club or something like that. So um, there's booths or different tables for you to sit at, but then all of the seating arrangements are pointed to face the stage where the girls are trying to attract the attention of a customer. And then there's massage parlors. So massage parlors, you can 
sometimes go there and get just a regular old massage and other times they'll call it a happy ending and so that means it comes with extra sexual favors at the end that you'd pay extra for and these men can go into a specific room with a specific person get a massage and then the happy ending on top of it and then there's freelancers as well and so within the red light district you might see women that are just walking along the streets It's usually pretty obvious if they're freelancers because of the way that they're a little bit more scantily dressed. Yeah, and they'll be typically trying to call men over on the street and trying to call and talk to them. Or they'll just blatantly be passing out calling cards. Can you explain the online exploitation just a little bit more? So the pornography industry in the Philippines really exploits children. And we have some great ministry partners like IJM, International Justice Mission, whose primary focus is ending pornography and sexual exploitation online in the Philippines. Typically, it is run out of slum communities where there isn't a whole lot of industry, there isn't a whole lot of economic opportunities. And unfortunately, in this scenario, that's where you would see more of family members exploiting their own children or own distant relatives. It's not necessarily where they sell the girls into the bars as it is they are exploiting children in their own home. It's a very, very unfortunate and devastating crime. That is not necessarily what Wipe Every Tear focuses on. We do have cases where girls have been rescued from those sort of situations, but it's not our primary focus. Our focus is on going into the bars and building relationships with these women and offering them rescue and restoration from there. So when we go into the bars on the walking street, we really go in kind of turning the business on its own head. We also go in and we'll order a drink and then we'll also order a drink for the girl that we want to talk to which is really how we're able to conduct our outreach. And we'll go in more depth on that later on. But the sheer number of women that are exploited in one or two miles stretch in Angeles City is just baffling. It's estimated that anywhere from twelve to 15,000 women are employed in those bars, and that doesn't even count the freelancers or massage workers or girls who are exploited online. So it's a vast and sometimes overwhelming battle, but having even one girl rescued outweighs the magnitude of reaching out to thousands of girls. Um, When one girl is rescued, it makes it so much less daunting. Yeah, it's hard to even fathom that quantity of women that are being exploited. And we've had a lot of people ask us, isn't it illegal? Like, aren't the police present at all? And technically, it is illegal in the Philippines. You'll see even police officers that will set up their chairs on Walking Street and be fully aware of everything happening around them. But since it is a tourist destination, then they don't really do anything about it since it's making so much money. It causes the bars to become intuitive and to innovate different ways to get around those laws that are technically in place, even though they're not enforced at all. And so these bars have something called bar fines. There's no sexual acts that happen on the premises of the bars. And so all of the men that are on Walking Street and looking for women will often purchase the women within the bar and then take her back to his hotel room or whatever location. Or even his apartment if he lives there full time. There are a lot of expats yeah. from around the world. So essentially the customer pays 
the fine, quote unquote, that she would have to pay for leaving work early. And of course, that is all negotiated with the bar owner, who is typically a foreign man. They are from all over the world. It doesn't necessarily, uh, they are not all from one country. A couple of years ago, a lot of the bar owners used to be Western, but now we're seeing a lot more Asian and Eastern bar owners. And so either the price of the early work release is worked out with the bar owner or with the mama-san, who is like the female manager of the bar or quote unquote pimp, as some people would label it. Yeah. And so as you're in Angeles City specifically, which is where we do all of our outreach, it's really obvious what's happening. Even though it's illegal, even though there's police present and none of it should be happening, as you walk down Walking Street, it's all very apparent that there's one purpose for everything that's happening there. Um, That's both during the day and during the night. During the night, all the lights are flashing and there's loud music playing and Yeah, you'll see women walking around in bikinis and heels. And during the day, you'll still see women walking around, more or less. You'll see women that are obviously coming home from a night with a man or are obviously... On their way to work. Yeah. Yes. And just a lot of poverty that's present there on Walking Street. It's really interesting to me how they try to make it look so glamorous and yet you see the cobblestone street that's just completely in disrepair and there's all sorts of waste running down the street and trash everywhere and it smells so pungent and it truly is just a grimy place and yet it tries to have this facade of glamour and like this Las Vegas feel, but it's not like that at all. And I think that's where it's quite symbolic because it looks nice and shiny on the outside, but on the, like when you really look at it, it's it's quite disheartening. Yeah, I think it really is symbolic of just the brokenness that is required in order to create an environment like that. Yeah. Unfortunately, brokenness within the women and just the trauma that's experienced there, as well as brokenness within the men that are present and purchasing these women, it's all just felt really deeply with the environment. Yeah, the atmosphere is very depressed, is how I would describe it. And it always makes me chuckle and shake my head when I see signs on the outside of bars that say that prostitution doesn't happen here. I mean, the bars will literally have signs on the outside of the doors that say prostitution is illegal. And yet you walk inside and you walk through the curtain, through the door of the bar, and you are met with anywhere from 10 to hundreds of girls in bikinis and who knows what else. And they're obviously miserable. And these men are miserable too. And then there's just this lie that that doesn't happen here, that everyone is happy, that these girls choose to work there. And I mean, of course, that's the facade that would be put up because... Satan, our enemy, all he can do is steal and lie and destroy. And he destroys these people's lives, lies about what is happening there. And uh, it's just so much more obvious the more times that I go there is truly how how depressed that area is and how destructive it is, not only to the lives of the women, but also to the lives of the men too. And that's something we'll go into on later episodes of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You had mentioned how it's really not a choice for most of them. They're not mm-hmm. choosing to work there. And I think that's one of the things that I learned early on that was just shocking that it's really poverty that puts them in this place and then mm-hmm. lack of education. So a lot of these women are part of big families and have the financial responsibility to 
provide for them and to work in whatever way necessary in order to provide for their families. And in the Philippines, it's virtually impossible for women to get any kind of career without a college education. And so these women are coming out of poverty and can't afford college education and so really do whatever they possibly can in order to still be able to provide for their family. The Philippines places such a huge emphasis on family and caring for them well and being present and being able to provide financially. And so they do whatever they can to make ends meet. A lot of times the families don't even know that their children are working in the sex trade. They think that they're working in restaurants or in businesses or call centers. And there's so much shame that's around the sex trade that girls don't even know how to tell their families that this is where they're working. They just send the money back and Hope that there's not really that many more questions asked after that. Yeah, that's so true. It's so interesting trying to keep up with the girls in our care because they'll make several different Facebooks because they don't want their families to find like their pictures from when they were exploited on Walking Street or they don't want them to find out like what had happened to them unless it's their choice. And that's one of the reasons why we take protecting the identity of the girls and women in our care so seriously and so strictly is not only to protect their identity and where they're staying from their previous places of exploitation from the bars, but also to protect them from their families because that's their story to tell. And we don't ever want to force a girl to share and have to relive that trauma. She's not ready to speak about it yet. So it's so good that you brought that up, Elizabeth. Yeah. And many girls really are making the choice to stay there in order to provide, but they didn't know what they were getting into initially. Mm -hmm. A lot of people had been told that there was a really great restaurant available for them to work at or that they could be a server somewhere or, like I said, a call center that they could work at. And then once they showed up in Angeles City, some of them found out what the sex trade was for the very first time and then were tricked and indebted to the bars and unable to leave from there. And at the same time, they were making income to send back to their families and didn't have any other better options. Right. When you're separated from your family and you don't have any sort of college degree or way to communicate, sometimes they don't even speak the same dialect, the same language as what is spoken in their province. And so there's so many factors that are against them. I mean, they might owe the bar for paying for their ferry rides to that island from their provincial island. And even though they're making a very, very meager income, they're still beneath the poverty level when they're in the bars. It's something, you know, it's it's one or two dollars that they can send back home um, every couple of days. And the honor that Filipinos have for their family is so deep in their bones that they would never do anything to sacrifice taking care of their family. If a girl knows that she can give her family some rice for the week, she's never going to tell them most likely what she's doing to be able to afford that rice, but she's going to keep doing it until she knows that there's a better way. I think that's such a good point too, is that these girls aren't rich. They're not living a glamorous life because they're now working in the sex trade. They're still barely scraping by, still barely having enough food for themselves even to eat and then sending back whatever they possibly can to their families in the provinces. Yeah, because I mean, they make like $5 a day, five US dollars a day from their 12 hour shift at the bar at night. And I learned that a lot of the girls actually don't see a customer all that often. For like a medium sized bar with maybe about 20 girls working there, they'll maybe see a customer once or a couple times a month. 
unless they're like a spotlight or highlighted girl where the customers are really vying for that one specific girl or she's been at the bar for a really long time, typically they don't really see customers all that often. And so that means that they're making a lot less money. Now, the situations that they're in are obviously still horrible because the men are still handsy when they're at the bars. Um, and although the sex acts happen at the hotels offsite, it's still a very degrading atmosphere, whether or not they're seeing a customer regularly or not. Yeah, that's so true. And through being in the Philippines, I have learned so much more about ladyboys also, which is a concept that I was really unfamiliar with. So ladyboys is the term in the Philippines for transgenders, usually men that choose to go transgender to a woman in order to work within the sex trade. And so same situation is they don't feel like they have any other choice. They don't have a college education. They're working from poverty and need to provide for their families. And so they literally do whatever possible in order to make that happen. And in this case, that means taking hormones, in some cases, even getting surgeries in order to change their bodies in order to work in the sex trade to provide still a very meager income for their families and for themselves, but it feels like their absolute only choice. And typically, a lot of the ladyboys and the girls that you'll meet in the bar, either they're the eldest of their family, like Elizabeth mentioned earlier, or they come from a big family, or they're just the only ones to really take up the torch and to do something to provide for their family, whether it was their choice or not. I think it's really important to realize that even though in the case of ladyboys, they may have chosen to begin cross-dressing, it still was out of desperation. And I think when you're acting out of desperation and survival, I don't think choice is actually legitimate. Yeah. And so technically, it was a choice for them to take those hormones and stuff, but it's more or less choice to do that or to starve mm -hmm. and to let their family starve at the same time. Yeah. I think it is absolutely amazing how much respect and honor Filipinos have for their family. And I wish that that was something that was reflected more in Western culture. But I've also seen how it can really inhibit a person from dreaming for themselves of what their future could look like. Because in survival mode, your brain isn't able to dream about the future. It physically cannot Imagine a reality where you are safe and where you are fed until your needs are met. And that's where I think the theory of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is really, really true because the brain functions in a way where it's trying to conserve energy, especially when you're malnourished and you don't know where your next meal is coming from. The brain is just doing anything it can to shut down and conserve as much energy as possible. And so for the girls, who are working in the bars, even though they're in really drastic and horrible situations, it's something that the brain is familiar with. When the brain is contemplating unfamiliar scenarios, that makes the brain have to use more energy. And so for a girl to be able to process and make the decision to come into our care and to leave the bars, it's a miracle on so many levels, but from a physiological standpoint, and it's absolutely incredible because she was able to overcome her brain trying to compensate and trying to keep her in survival mode. And she was able to make a decision based off of an unfamiliar reality. So even though these women are in really horrible situations, it's something that their brain is familiar with. And so for them to make a decision to overcome fear, 
fear that has been instilled with them from the bar owners about leaving and then fear of an unknown. It's absolutely magnificent and it really is so amazing. Yeah, really a lot of the chains that bind these women to the bars are their mental chains and the trauma that that has been induced and even the degrading comments and different things that have been spoken over them that force them to not believe in anything different. It's, yeah, like Lauren said, truly like the most brave and courageous acts that I've honestly ever witnessed in my life to see these women leaving. It's absolutely a picture of heaven on earth. It's so Mm. amazing. So a common misconception is that these women who are forced to work in the sex trade, whether it's in the Philippines or around the world, they're called prostitutes. And we really, really hate that word because it is not their choice saying that, you know, oh, that girl is a prostitute. That's giving her that identity. And that is not her identity. It's something that she was forced into, especially in the Philippines. And so we typically say that she is prostituted. She is prostituted by someone else. She is being forced to do this out of her circumstances, out of the poverty, out of the management of the bar. And so I think that's a really important thing to distinguish is that that's not her identity. It's something that she's being forced to do. Yeah. And it's not even just wipe every tears terminology that we're choosing to use. It's the reality of the situation too. This isn't their desire in life. It's to be these dancers or to be these sex workers, but they desire bigger and better things. They just don't know how to get there and don't have the resources to get there. Exactly. And, you know, some people might have a rebuttal and say, well, there are women that choose to do that. In the Philippines specifically, which is our realm of focus, only 2% of women say that they enjoy the work. And more than half of girls say that they feel nothing when they had sex with a customer. So I think that really goes to show that even if a girl might say that she chose that life, I would argue and say maybe dig deeper in conversation with that girl because there were probably circumstances in her life that led her to be in that situation, whether it was her choice or not. A lot of people ask us, well, okay, so a girl leaves a bar and then she comes into your care. Don't people come looking for her? Yeah, and... I think there is really this stigma or this misconception that it's super dangerous for them to leave. I think people have seen the movie Taken. They've seen other movies like Priceless and have seen these traffickers that are big and scary and bulky and after these women because they're being pimped out by these one specific traffickers. But that's really not the case in the Philippines. Sometimes a girl will have a quote-unquote boyfriend who is a foreign customer who will pretty much buy her from the bar every night, and she becomes economically dependent on this boyfriend. So that is a huge obstacle for a lot of these girls to overcome is because this boyfriend will become more financially stable than the bar, and so sometimes they'll just trickle away from the bar and stay with this boyfriend. And so a lot of the girls that you meet in the bar, they say that they're looking for a boyfriend or they're looking for a husband, and it's because they know that they're going to get more money money or at least be provided for more by a boyfriend than by continuing to like meet different customers at the bar. But even with the bar owners and the mamasans at the bar, they unfortunately know that the Philippines has a huge population and they're just going to go out and find another girl. Yeah, and so there's not that much danger for them from traffickers or pimps because there's so many women that are on the street that they're not going to miss them necessarily, which sounds awful, but they have other women that they know will come soon enough that will continue to make money for the bar. And so it would be more work and more effort for the pimps and the mamasans to track them down than it would be for them to just find a new woman from somewhere else. 
Exactly, because a lot of them are actually recruited online through social media. Filipinos love social media. I mean, who doesn't at this point? And so it's very interesting that you just said that, Elizabeth, because that's so true. They can easily put out some feelers through Facebook Messenger of people that they're connected with through their province or area back home. And then within a couple of days, a girl can be there or they just go out to the surrounding slums and, you know, tell family members that, you know, they can come and work at a restaurant in Angeles City. And then that's that. Yeah. And again, it is that lie of telling the women they can work at a restaurant, they can work at some kind of dignified job where they don't need an education. And then as soon as the women show up, it's them dancing provocatively on the stage. Mm-hmm. And the quote unquote finder fee is a reason why a lot of bars don't come and look for the girls that have left. So girls who are currently being exploited in a bar, they're underneath the management of a mama-san, they will actually be paid a commission from the bar for finding girls like from their hometown or their cousins or girls that they know would be willing to come and you know be able to provide money for her family or for her her own kids and it's really twisted because these girls are actually being recruited and trafficked by other Filipino girls. Yeah, a lot of times even family members, yeah, like cousins or aunts or moms at times. Yeah, like we said earlier, that's kind of rare, but we do have several cases of women in our care who have been recruited and trafficked by relatives, which is absolutely devastating. Another huge factor for women being vulnerable to sex trafficking in the Philippines is natural disasters. The Philippines is right in the Pacific Rim, and it is plagued with typhoons and earthquakes that really devastate any sort of existing infrastructure. And when you're on a remote provincial island, most of their shelters are made from bamboo or tin or man-made bricks. And so when these natural disasters come in, they just wipe out any sort of economic activity that was there, which leaves women even more vulnerable than they were in the first place. So not only are they in poverty, but they're vulnerable to natural disasters that just wipe out any sort of chance that they had of finding a dignified job in their own region. Yeah, so all of these different aspects of what trafficking looks like in the Philippines, in a lot of ways, even AIDS wipe every tears model, which is why it's so beautiful that Holy Spirit gave us this very specific model, because we're able to come in so unknown and allow these women a way out. And since the reality of it is that most women don't want to be there, it just feels like their only choice. It allows the rescue process to look so much better and easier even in a lot of ways because they want a way out they're all searching for something better they just have to find that way and so wipe every tear gets to be that way for these women in providing that education that allows them to actually have dignified jobs from there on out for the rest of their lives and to be actually fully restored so they don't feel like sex trafficking is ever their only choice again they feel like they actually have choices for them and for their families and so i think that's really the beauty of it we're going to go more into the specifics of the rescue model at other points in this podcast i think that's really beautiful talking about the power of choice being redeemed when a girl is able to come into our care and decide for herself what she wants to study in college, what she wants to do as her career for the rest of her life. That's typically a question that she's never 
said out loud to anyone that she's never admitted to anyone because her whole life has been just doing anything that she can to provide for her family and now she's being given this torch that allows her to actually voice out loud what her own decisions are and I think that is incredibly empowering and that's what I love about Wipe Every Tear is that we're really here just to empower each woman and we're also here to empower the Philippines. We love the Philippines. It's an absolutely gorgeous country. It's so hospitable and warm. Literally, it is so hot all the time but we love their culture and we love how these women are being educated in the Philippines to go back and further empower their own economy and to raise that up. So I think women that graduate from our care are going to have major roles in completely bringing revival and bringing systemic change to the Philippines economy. And that hopefully 100 years from now, the stories of Walking Street will be only in museums and not a reality anymore. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of it is that it's really women getting educated and therefore going and making their own country a better place. We never want to just take women out of the sex trade and put them into something else or even we don't want to bring them back to America because we totally trust that these women are empowered and equipped to be able to be real kingdom shakers within their own country and within their own cities. Yeah. So yeah, we just thank you so much. It has been so great to share this information with you. We hope that it has been informational as well as just stir something within your heart and allows you to think more in depth about the realities of the sex trade. Maybe even inspires you to learn more about what it looks like in your own state because your state is going to look different than Mm -hmm. Idaho and it's going to look different than the Philippines and it's going to look different from Thailand. And so... We thank you for taking the time to listen to this. We know it's a heavy topic, so go grab a coffee, go for a walk outside, and have a great day. Yeah, and even if you have more questions in the future, send us an email. Give us a call. We love to be able to give this knowledge to you and allow you to be equipped to the best of your abilities to really see change within your own community and your own families even. Absolutely. So thank you, and we hope you have a fantastic day. 